Yeah, say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Nice Smell that dope when I pass by. Oh. I let my money at a fast pace. Alright, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. So first with us today, we got Tank. Hey guys, how's it going? And also with us today, we got Bugs. What's up guys, glad to be here. Alright, welcome to the show guys. Thank you for having us. So we'll go ahead and get started. Tank, what'd you bring to drink today? We got a uh, White Devil Ale, uh, Imperial White Ale. It's from uh, Kuhnhen Brewing Company, sounds German, but it's it's from D-Town, baby. Detroit, Michigan, it says. From the back of the can, White Devil made with Michigan raw wheat and Pilsner malt. This ale is gold in color and has a distinct fruity aroma. Spices in the finish include sweet orange peel and coriander. What'd you think of it? It's pretty good, guys. It's got some depth, and uh, it's 9%, folks, so it's a heavy hitter, and uh, it's delicious. You know, I'm coming in over here with a whopping 9.37. Had to one-up you a little bit. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you first time being on in a minute, had to go back to the Boss Tweed. But I mixed it up a little bit. I got the Boss Tweed Guava, so I'm excited to try that. That's an, a limited edition beer, too. Generously gifted to me by Tank, actually. Yeah, man. I, I had to make sure my buddy Bugs had the Guava Boss Tweed variant. Everybody knows when Tank's on the show, there's some old nations going to be happening. Yes, sir. I got a beer. It's my first time drinking it. It's Midland Brewing Company, Fabian Fournier, peanut butter porter. I'm a sucker for like a peanut butter beer or like an oatmeal stout. And with Jay Bones here, he's always makes fun of me anytime. <laughs> you drink like a 9% stout, but it's got oatmeal in the name. So make you feel like you're drinking a foo-foo drink and shit. Like, <laughs> goddamn. Shit. No, did man. you, uh, did you pick jealous. that up over the weekend or is that something you were gifted? Uh, no, I grabbed this. I was up in Frankenmuth over the weekend. Anybody, well, we'll get into Frankenmuth later because I got some Frankenmuth beers. But anyways, yeah, it was good. I waited. I really needed a drink, but I was holding off till we got on to the show. It All was right. definitely well worth it. As always, we want to make sure we thank Six Volt Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. So go follow him on Instagram. Talented cat. Yeah. And uh, he always puts out lots of content. So follow him. Subscribe to his YouTube. And then we also got to thank Cancer for letting us use his song in the mid-roll. We're using Kings and Cannibals. I actually worked out the album a couple times, so like I'm a big fan of Blood. So like when it comes on, I normally sing it like word for word. Okay. And um, I was listening to listening to the Bad Guy podcast when I was working, and uh, the mid roll came around and it wasn't Blood, and it caught me by surprise. But it was a good surprise. I thought it was interesting, but I didn't know the switch was happening. So I was just kind of like, I was something new thrown in. So you can follow him, Eyes Bleed Defiance on Instagram, and that's his page. He does. Graphic design, photography, art, you know, so he's multi-talented. He did our logo, so you can see the Say Hello to the Bad Guy logo on his Instagram, Eyes Bleed Defiance. And then you can follow us at Bad Guy Podcast on TikTok and Instagram, and also 
badguypodcast.com. If you're having a hard time finding any of the links, six four Swaino is spelt weird. Cancer's got a three for E. So if you can't find them, go to badguypodcast.com and you can just click all the links through there. We got a request from a listener that asked us to cover who we're going to cover today. Exciting. We did it with Lee Murray Podcast. If uh, you got a recommendation and it's good, we'll move it to the front of the line. But yeah, so today we got a recommendation from a listener, Stay Blessed 07. Bless up. Hey, when I think of blessed, that's uh, Max. I think of Max Holloway. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's Max Holloway. I think it's Max Holloway. Really? <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably we're that big. So the bad guy we're covering today is Giuseppe Nicole Savella. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Giuseppe. Giuseppe Nicole Savella, a.k.a. Nick Savella, or Nicholas. That's probably going to be easier to read. Yeah. <laughs> so I put this and was disappointed that I didn't have any AKAs, but in reality, his name was Giuseppe Nicole Savella, and I just fucked up on the PowerPoint, because I could have put AKA Nick. <laughs> so Nick Savella was born March 19, 1912, in Kansas City, Missouri. Missouri. Like, down, I'm from there. <laughs> down in Zura. Missouri, to immigrant parents. His two-year-older brother, Carl Savella, went by the nickname Cork, because he was always popping off, like he had a attitude problem. Right on. And uh, so Cork gravitates toward the streets of the Italian Northeast neighborhood. Nick joined him when he dropped out of school after getting arrested for the first time at 10 years old. Wow. Okay, and uh, what, what year was that again? So he'd have been 10 in 1922. Okay. Starting young, 10 years old. He's like, yep, yeah, all right. Cork, what would it do? How are these streets? <laughs> the school life ain't for me. Did it say what he got arrested for? Being incorrigible. Ah. <laughs> Being a little asshole or something. <laughs> Truancy, I imagine, yeah. just running the streets and stuff. Okay. Which you figure, I mean, at that point in time, I mean, you know, it wasn't unheard of for a 10-year-old. I mean, I, I know times are different, and 10 year old still young now, but back then it was kind of a little bit more forgivable for a 10-year-old to be starting out as an apprentice somewhere or something like that, especially if they were on the poor side, of the, you know, the working class side of the economic scale or whatnot. But if you were 10 years old running around the streets and acting like an asshole, well, then you're going in for being incorrigible. <laughs> <laughs> in 1922, like 10-year-olds are expected to be like the man Delivered, of the house well, you know, and, and delivering newspapers back then was a decent gig, you know, for a kid, I guess. You know, it always was up until probably about 10 years before newspapers weren't really deliverable anymore. But back then, if you were a kid you could, and, and you were in the city, especially in, in Little Italy, Kansas City, where I guarantee you papers were getting delivered, you could find a way as a kid, I mean, to not be a little incorrigible asshole. But, I mean, you know, when your brother's uh, Corky McPopoff or whatnot, <laughs> you know, you can end up following in the wrong steps, I'm assuming. So I'm going to jump before we even get to the end. We need to cover Corky McPopoff for sure <laughs> in the next episode. Before his 20th birthday, Nick Savella had a lengthy arrest record. He had been arrested for vagrancy, auto theft, armed robbery, and illegal gambling. Just after his 20th birthday, he got sentenced to several months in state prison for a bootlegging violation. All right. Raging so, 20s, man. They get you. So his 20th birthday, that's 1932. That's why I only got a couple months, because 1932, that's like the tail end yeah, of prohibition. prohibition. Repeal yeah. is around the corner. 1922, that, prohibi that 
bootleg in charge. You know what I mean? You're going been to a little heftier. Yeah, you're gonna go do five years or something because you're bootlegging. You know, now they're like, fuck, we're on the different shit. This, you know, repeals around the corner. I'm surprised he didn't have more um, action in between those times. Maybe he either uh, stopped being a little incorrigible or he just got slicker and never got caught up. That's in, what I was thinking. Um, 1934, he married a lady named Catherine. Now, they'd never have any kids. He said to be a great uncle, but they would stay married for the rest of his life. Okay. 22. 22. With his brother at his right hand, Nick became a rising star in the KC mob scene. He was popular with other young gangsters, and he put together like his own gang operations. He was an organizer. Right. Cork was uh, a muscle guy, and he had some plans. Well, his name's Cork. I don't expect much from this man. <laughs> he pops off, bro, and, and <laughs> his brother's like, all right, guys, we're coming up. We're going we're gonna to take over KC North End. We're taking it down. Pop and Nick. Inevitably, he was recruited by local Sicilian mobsters. That was standard protocol. Well, inst- until now, you know, the street gangs develop the recruits that they bring into the mob. So a lot of these guys he's out on the streets with are getting taken into the mob. But he had grown up in Little Italy and his dad had been like extorted by black hand gangs. So he was always like, fuck these guys. And he didn't like the extortion game. He's like, you know, kind of taken from your own people. I feel like it's bullshit. So he didn't like the Sicilians. He didn't like the black hand. So he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to do my own thing. I don't want Which, to do that show. Right now, I'm sitting here like, yeah, respect. But in re- like thinking about it, I think he's going to regret this later later down the road. Like I feel like that's going to be a big no-no. <laughs> but he got a little too good. He got a little too wild. And eventually, instead of not only was he like, like no, nah, I want to do my own thing, he started to hit like businesses and illegal businesses that were connected. Oh, okay. Yeah, not not probably a good idea. So this doesn't fly. You know, you can you can say, no, I don't want to be a part of your shit and do your own thing or whatever. That's fine. But you can't rob our shit. We are the fucking mob. It leaves you very little of the market space. You know what I mean? <laughs> As a career uh, gangster, a career criminal, when you, you, you say, no, I don't know. I'm not going to join with you. We've seen it before. You know, you can join and break them off a piece and try to keep your stuff separate. Or you can have whatever scraps are left over. December 1940, he narrowly escapes a hit, which uh, his boy ended up getting killed. Okay. And he says, okay, I got to bolt town. So he runs and hides out in Chicago. While he's in Chicago, he affiliates with some connected gangsters. So he starts making some friends. And within a month of him being in Chicago, while robbing a dance hall, he gets (laughs) shot and arrested by the police. Okay. A month? Like, dude, you could even... You couldn't even be down there for a month without relaxing. Gotta make that money, man. He was on the run. He probably needed some cheese, you know? You actually fucking nailed it. So the closest oh, thing damn. I heard, they said the reason it probably was because he was on the run. Yeah. And like, life man. on the run ain't fucking cheap. And Desperate, shit. bro. I got to take this fringe game. I'm going to fucking... It's, it's high risk, but I need that cheddar, you know? Because his boy got shot on December 4th. He robbed this on, like, Christmas morning. I had to hold back from singing the Grinch song just then, man. Motherfucking <laughs> Christmas morning and shit. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Robbing a dance Come hall. on, Nick. So, so incorrigible. I know. There ain't no, uh, no, no days are sacred in the, in the hustle game, right? 
Well, you figure if you're new to town and you need some cash quick, like a fucking uh, Christmas night, da- you know what I'm saying? Christmas Eve dance, probably some cash on hand quick and shit. I flipped on him easy. First, I was like, you always need to have money, man. And the next thing I know, I'm like, you son of a bitch, not on Christmas. Not on Christmas. <laughs> How dare you? So he's not doing a good job laying low in Chicago. He gets shot and shit, but he... <laughs> And he gets arrested, but he gets off. So he talks, reaches out to his homies from Chicago, like his new boys. And he's like, hey, don't you guys have connections? He claimed that he was just running out the dance club and got caught in some crossfire and was an innocent victim. Okay. But then they eventually were like, yeah, it's good enough. Case thrown out. Oh, <laughs> damn. I was just at the was... Christmas mixer. <laughs> I, I was I was innocent. I wasn't being incorrigible. <laughs> New to town, trying to meet I mean, some people. I've been here a month, all right? I've waited at least three months before I start robbing uh, dance halls. <laughs> but eventually, you know, things start to settle down, and uh, he gravitates back to Kansas City, slowly. You know, people just always go back to what they know. And then once World War II pops off, the drama kind of slowed down. Because for one, a lot of people went off to fight. So a right. lot of these gangsters are literally fighting in World War II. But also, there was a lot of money. Okay. For the mob in World War Two, you know, because everything was rationed out and stuff like that, so they had to hook up on rations and bacon and all the stuff you couldn't get because it's wartime. Yeah, everything so, came through them. Right. So he was able to get back to Kansas City and everything was kind of smooth. But then around like 1946, everything kind of gets back and times lean out and now everybody's scraping for a dollar again and they're like, hey, ain't that fucking <laughs> that asshole Nick Savella that's been fucking robbing us? the fuck is he doing back in town and uh a delayed reaction like they were kicking it with him the other <laughs> nope. day and then they're like you know what man this bounty's <laughs> looking nice so he gets shot up twice one time he's paying off like some uh crooked deputy he worked with and shit and they rolled up on him tried to shoot him up but okay. the deputy was there and they didn't know it and that guy got shot and killed oh black hand rolled up yeah and and killed the deputy yeah Damn, man, he keeps on he keeps on uh, slipping out of these uh, situations, man. Close calls, the people he's with are getting shot, and he's getting out. Damn. Now, this one here is another one. He's another one of his boys, a Jewish dude he used to roll with. He's hanging out, and they roll up, and his boy gets smoked, and he uh, ducks out the other side of the car. No shit. Fucking hits the street and ducks out. Now, one of the things they said, that they think he was able to get off to Chicago to hide out and know, like, when was good times to come back. Like, the reason he was always kind of one step ahead of him was a lot of his boys he had come up with on the street. He had went towards the mob. Oh, okay. And now they had kind of worked their way up in it, and they were always still kind of cool with him, you know? Yeah. So they're kind of uh, like, hey, dude, better watch right. out. You know what I'm saying? Like, give him a heads up. Inside Bros time. before black hand, no. <laughs> it's kind of like... Nick ever hit you up like, hey man, you want to come hang out? Like, actually, I'm cool. <laughs> People tend to die when they're with you, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, can I just give you some info over the phone and we right. just uh, fist bump through the phone line? But yes, people do get smoked around them a lot. What That's- is that? That's the third one, right? Yeah. A lot of homies going. Nick runs back to Chicago again. I'm like, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this shit's getting real in Kansas City. So he's got a down ass wife too. She's rolling with him every step of the way, or maybe she's just hanging out. I don't know, but either way, she uh, probably has no clue what's going on. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's just like, I don't know. We're moving back to Chicago, I guess. I'm, we live in Kansas, but we go on vacation to Chicago every once in a while. I hope you don't get shot, shot again. <laughs> don't. I told you, you have you, to go to that mixer. Be careful around <laughs> dance halls when you're up there. I was just dancing, babe. See, that's what really happened. He wasn't a gangster. 
he was at that mixer with some other chick, got caught, and he told his wife, like, ah, I was, I robbed it. I robbed <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was, I know. I was there, the I was robbing his wife and shit. <laughs> uh, I was robbing the place. I, sh- I was taking a shot at the cop. I don't give a fuck. Shoot me in the stomach. I, ain't, I can't go home. <laughs> now when Nick goes back to Chicago, his boys that he had met when he was there before, had moved up the chain. So now they're like captains in the Chicago outfit. So he goes to Chicago and he's got boys there. And uh, he's going pretty good. And like we said, Chicago and Kansas City are tight. And at this time, Tony Accardo, he would always go to see like Paul Rica and these other guys that were locked up in Leavenworth. When they were in Leavenworth, he would take the train to Kansas City. And then he'd get picked up in Kansas City and they'd take him to Leavenworth to go meet with the bosses there. Every time he's in town, he meets up with this guy, Anthony Gizzle. He's like a high up captain. He used to be an enforcer. Now he's like one of the top lieutenants in the Kansas City family. So when Ricardo's in town, he picks him up, takes him to Leavenworth. You know what I mean? Shows him around, takes care of him. They do business together. He's like the Chicago liaison, right? Okay. That's a good gig to have, man. And the mob, uh, you're like, hey, uh, Tony's coming into town. Take him around, show him a good time. Like a big dog chauffeur, basically. Oh, yeah, man. But, you know, like he said, he used to be an enforcer. He worked his way up. That's like in the UFC when uh, after Chuck Liddell retired for a while, he had like some kind of, he was like the vice president of something, something, but his job was like when Mike Tyson's came to the fights, he hung out with him. Oh, damn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. he was like, take him to the seats and hang out with him and show him around and oh, shit, yeah. take care of Mike Tyson. Hold on, wait, what's your job? <laughs> yeah. You hang out with Mike Tyson when he comes <laughs> to the fights? Hell yeah, man. Like, well, I mean, not always Mike Tyson. You know, sometimes it's fucking Mayweather. Floyd, or yeah, fucking, Floyd or fucking the supermodel, possibly. or Yeah, just, you know, yeah. whoever. Hey, man, hell yeah, hell of a gig. But, you know, Liddell, you deserve that. The UFC is the UFC because of him, partially, right? Did we just compare Tony Gizzo to Chuck Liddell? Right on. Okay. Right on. Whatever, I'm pouring my beer on my lap. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all both drinking the same thing. What is it, Pulse, you said? This is a Mingle Sour Double IPA from Holmes Brewery. It's got strawberry, cherry, plum, vanilla, cinnamon, milk, sugar. Uh, it's really good, man. It's strong. You know, double IPAs have got to be in the high sevens, uh, low nines. And, uh, yeah, it's all that. I mean, when I seen when I seen Lock pour it, it looked like it was a smoothie almost. Like I was gonna say, I feel like I'm drinking a smoothie. That's why I like so I could. I feel like I did. I was healthy today. I drank this fucking beer and shit. And it, it somehow kind of works. I mean, don't get me wrong. I just drank a 9.0 percent white ale, so my taste buds are slightly altered. But man, it's it's a decent brew, man. I like it a lot. It's my favorite Holmes brew I think I've had so far. Nice. But so now, Tony Accardo, he's got some of his guys coming to him, and they're like, hey, this Nick Savella's cool, man. He's my boy. He's a good guy. And uh, Tony Accardo's telling Gizzo, who's high up in the KC mob, and he's like, hey, our guy's cool. And then all these guys had come up with him that were in the KC mob were like, hey, we came up with him and telling him he's pretty cool. But, you know, there was, like, the boss was like, fuck this kid, we're going to kill him. But yeah. eventually, Chicago kind of trumps KC, and they're like, uh... <laughs> We're going to send our boy back. You're going to give him another shot. Damn. Right on, man. I would expect nothing else from another Nick. So, Accardo basically, like, back our dude Nick. Yeah. Send him back to KC. So, you got two trains of thought. One is Tony Accardo spoke on behalf of him. And then the other train of thought is that the guys inside that had came up with him stuck up from him for Kansas City. Yeah. In reality, it's probably both at right. the same time. Yeah. Imagine being the boss in, like, KC. 
And Tony Cardo's telling you, like, hey, we're sending this kid back. Don't touch him. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay. It's, fuck. Not to not to plug the show, but we had the interview with the FBI agent, and brains were at a premium in the mob. And I always thought for some reason that it was the other way around, but once I heard her say that, that makes sense there. At the beginning of the episode, it was mentioned that it was the, the brains of the brawn and brains brother combo so it makes sense that he comes up he puts in work and they say hey look you know what do you want you want a silly clown down there who who fucks up all the time and makes mistakes or you want somebody who's got a little bit of brains so i mean i could i could see it short leash maybe short leash but still let it roll if the higher up say it's so right i agree so they send Nick back to Kansas City, and when he returns, Anthony Gizzo takes him under his wing, and Nick Savello works as Tony Gizzo's personal bodyguard and chauffeur. Kind of how Gizzo got started for uh, Cardo. <laughs> yeah. I see a little something of me in him. He's going to do like I did for Ricardo. That is a good call, because I listened to a whole thing about how chauffeur, personal bodyguard, is actually a pretty valued position. Yeah. It sounds lowly, and there are chauffeurs and bodyguards that are lowly, but when you're a top guy's personal chauffeur and bodyguard, and you look, Tony Accardo at one point was Jack McGurn's driver, you right. know, and then Jack McGurn was Al Capone's driver, and it just works its way up. Like, you have you seen Game of Thrones? Yep. So when Jon Snow, when they all graduate, like, the academy or whatever to become, like, watchers on the wall right he thinks he's going to be a ranger because he's the best fighter and they make him a ward and he's pissed because that's like where the nerdy guys go but they're like well yeah you're going to be the commander's personal warden you got no both sides yeah and he's pissed because he thinks no i'm supposed to be the fucking top ranger but like he's like no i need you right next to me all the fucking time so the title ain't what you want chauffeur ain't a great title but guess what you're rolling with fucking tony fucking gizzo well, You're in KC, it, right? I hooked you up, bro. You yeah. Drive the car. You're I think of busy... it like the uh, the Hamilton play, like how Hamilton didn't want to be with George Washington, but that was where his spot was. Like he was valuable there. Yeah, right. Kinda... Look what happened, right? The same deal, like you said. You know, you got to know both sides, and 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 at that point, the driver. I mean, think about it, man. You're a busy boss. You're working your way up. Your driver might be with you more than you're with your family and shit. So, what better spot to learn the trade? He's back in Kansas City for a while. Gizzo's working his way up into the, working his way up the ladder. Now the boss of the KC Mafia fucks up because he puts together this big plan and he gets a bunch of money from some of the other cities that they work with put in to this gambling district he's gonna make where he's gonna buy off the Kansas City and the St. Louis police and run the gambling in both cities. Right. All right. Big money. Yeah. But the boss fucks it up and it don't work. So they do it and he drops the ball and it all falls apart. And uh, it's just a fucking mess. So Chicago's fucking pissed. And they're like, dude, what the fuck? But on April 5th, 1950, the KC boss, Charles Benaggio, and his underboss, Charles Mad Dog Gargota, were both found murdered in the Fourth Ward Democratic Club. Big consequences. He had actually told the boss, Charles Benaggio, had his driver, Nick Petta, who he was always with, and he told him to wait at the bar and said, we're going to go, you just wait here. And then... They had never came out. Somebody actually went in because they heard water running. It's called the murder, the murder of the two Charlies. Okay. And uh, when they went in and found them, they were both shot in the head four times by two different thirty-two handguns. Damn. Okay. Oddly enough, the running water that made somebody come look was from a broken toilet that didn't have nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> they just heard a broken toilet, went and checked on, it, and there's two dead dudes in there. The wet bandits weren't involved. 
That's crazy. So he told it. You said that he told his driver to just kind of stay in there. So that's one of the things like he knew what was going on. Well, it's the life you choose when they're, right. you know, they cover it a lot in Danny Brasco when they call for you to call for you. Yeah. I mean, there's two different guys. There's guys that you show up or there's guys that flip. Like we've seen, you already plugged the Ken Endo episode. He fucking left out his life insurance policy and put on his favorite suit, took a shower, like got ready to like, fuck it. If I'm going to go, let's go. Yeah. It's like we said, so there's the sweet gigs, but those sometimes harbor all the responsibility. I mean, if the big plan doesn't work out, just like he said, they still want the cheese. And if not, then you know what comes after that. You're going to be found in the bathroom boom, with a broken boom. toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Gizzo became the new boss of the family, made Nick Savella his underboss. Now, in hindsight, most researchers believe that the commission brought in Anthony Gizzo to take out the boss and take over in re- mm. as a reward for take. They fucked up. You take him out. You get the spot. So Anthony Gizzo comes the new boss and he slides Nick Savella up to underboss. Only is only fair. Fucking ten years ago he was robbing you guys. Now he's <laughs> like underboss, bitch. <laughs> What's up? Who's back in KC? <laughs> like I said, sometimes brains over brawn. You got to have a mix, but, you know, in the mob, but brains over brawn, sometimes it's the way to go. How long was that period? Like, so he was like a chauffeur for Gizzo, but like, how long was that period before this happened and you got bumped up? Uh, it's been about three years. Okay, so very short. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Three years in the criminal world, it can be a short time, it can be a long time. El Capone was boss for like seven. You know what I mean? Like, so three years is, you know, right. is a while. Three years of driving. Right. Well, and he's also a guy that was three years in that spot, but it's not like he just come off the bench. You know yeah. what I mean? He'd been out there on the fucking run getting shot fucking. Since 10 years old. He's a street guy. Yeah. That's what they call, they used to call Gotti all the time. He's a street guy. Nick is a street guy. My favorite ones though, man, are the ones, like you said, uh, Capone come up all the way from grassroots. I mean, quote, grassroots, you know, level all the way up to boss that's awesome underboss at this point so in 1950 the united states senate had the committee to investigate organized crime it's called the kafafa hearing in the 1950 kafafa senate hearings savella was mentioned as an organized crime figure on the rise i'm sorry we've got beer salesmen <laughs> we've got uh union leaders uh mob is there a mob? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, funny you said that because one of the guys brought in was Tony Gizzo. And a quote for Tony Gizzo before the Senate was, Senator, I wish to hell you would tell me what the mafia is. I never even heard of it. <laughs> At one point, uh, Nick Savella will be quoted as saying, uh, I'm not even a joiner. I'm not even in the Knights of Columbus. <laughs> I like to dance at dance halls, all right? So while growing in political connections, he meets a Teamster union leader named Roy Williams. They're both kind of guys on the rise. And Roy Williams, he was this guy that kind of flirted with being dirty, but then was like, I don't know, I think I want to be cool. And then Nick's guy picked him up and dragged him out in the middle of nowhere and said, you're going to do whatever Nick tells you to do, or you, your wife, and your kids are all going to get killed, and you get to go last. All right. So at that point, you had no choice. uh, (laughs) What's the assignment? What's up, Nick? How are you doing today? Okay, so what are you voting on? And at one point, so they sat on some committees together because Nick started working with the first Democratic Ward Democratic Club. So he would sit on these committees and he would represent the union. At one point, Roy Williams would be quoted as saying, I was Nick's guy. That's what Nick referred to him as. Well, I got a guy. Yeah. The union, I got a guy, Roy Williams. All right. Roy's like, yeah, that's me. I'm the guy. (laughs) 
On April 1st, 1953, 51-year-old Gizzo died of a heart attack in Dallas, Texas, while on family business. So I think there was some trouble, like his son got arrested. He was like a drug addict or something. Okay. And he was like going to Texas to like bail him out or get him straight or whatever it happened. And uh, he's in Texas and he dies of a heart attack. Motherfucker, you make me come all the way god down to goddamn Texas. What the shit? <laughs> yup. <laughs> he's spoken like a parrot. Bailing <laughs> you out. Now, they were up for a fucking debate because a lot of people still weren't a fan of Nick. But Chicago liked Nick, and Chicago was on the commission, and Kansas City's not. So what they worked out is Nick Savella was made boss of the Kansas City family, <laughs> and one of the older Sicilians, Joseph Filardo, was made the underboss. Joseph Filardo was there to represent, like, the, uh... The old heads. Yeah, the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think it's funny. It's kind of like, yeah, we didn't want to do this. They wanted to do this, so we compromised. We, he's the boss. Yeah. Something tells me that, <laughs> that it made it made the uh, Kansas City eyes no fonder of old Nicky boy. <laughs> I agree. Even though Joseph Filardo was his underboss, and Joseph Filardo was a fan of Nick too. Like that's why he was the underboss. He was like, look, yeah, they're old grumpy Sicilian dudes. You're cool. We ain't trying to. Okay. The thing, his thing was for real. Like. You just give us, like, our money and shit, and we'll just be cool. That's you know what I mean? That's the name of the game, right? Business is business. Yeah. Keep like, just do whatever you want. Them in. And some of the old dudes were like, no, fuck him. And he was like, nah, you know what? This is what we're going to do. Remember back in the day when it was like this? Business was going good, and then when shit got thin, we wanted to kill him again, and he went to <laughs> Chicago. Like, no, Right. How do you think this is going to go? He's we the tried boss that shit. <laughs> so, even though Joseph Filardo was his underboss, his brother Cork was always his right-hand man. Old Corky's still in the scene. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, man. My man, pop off. Well, and that's one of the things, I, I guess I should have touched on it earlier, but when you were saying, like, his boys was always dying around him, but it was never the right-hand man. Right. Right. So it's him and it's Cork, and yeah, they got some other friends, and they're getting shot, and it sucks, but they're out there fucking running and ducking and shit. I know this know? ain't Cork's episode, but we ain't heard nothing. Cork uh, ain't getting caught up, so right on, Cork. Still in the mix. Well, and then by now, Cork's got a son, and his son's now old enough that he's joined life. His name is Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Ripe. Tony Ripe? Ripe for the picking, ripe for the joining, ripe for the, you know, maybe he's uh, Cork's driver. Who knows? Well, and by, by now, he'd already been arrested and did time and been out, so he's like... Right. Ready, ready. Yeah, yeah he's right. right. <laughs> you know, you know what they say, man. That's like, that's like prep school for gangsters yeah. going doing your first bid and shit. This, this ain't fucking uh, uh, nepotism. I get to my daddy's in charge. I get to be in charge. Like yeah. uh, this motherfucker's ready to be gangster. Hard knock shit. And then Tony Ripe's brother-in-law, Tuffy DeLuna. Damn, man, these names <laughs> keep on hitting. So that was uh, that's Tuffy. That's his. Well, that's his crew. That's okay. That's Cork. Tony Ripe and Tuffy. Legend has it, uh, when Tuffy went straight, that's where the Tuffy muffler shops <laughs> got their name. <laughs> I was real proud of that joke. <laughs> and his uh, his real name is uh, is Carlos. And those are all the, that's all the same pictures of. No, those are. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. All right. So all the way on the left, I tried to do the best I could to get pictures around the same time frame. Time. Yep. So all the way on the left, that's Cork. All right. And then in the middle is Tony Ripe, his son. Guess which one's Tuffy? <laughs> Not the one I thought it was and shit. Oh, I think it's, I figured like he's for sure 
toughy. Like nobody's trying harder to look tough than that kid. You ain't right. kidding. Those are some hands too, bro. <laughs> look at them. Look at them knuckles, Compared man. Body? Yeah. Yeah, them are some hands, bro. You know he's throwing them fuckers. That's some head smackers. Yep. That's not a precision tool. That's a hammer. Damn straight. We've covered a couple of meat hooks in the, on the show, and that's a prerequisite to being from the streets and working your way up as them hands are fucking swollen up and broken from throwing them bitches and shit. <laughs> I'm disappointed in Cork, man. I thought Cork just looks like some regular dude you see on the stand selling, oh, like, I cabbage mean, out of the... Hold up, though, man. <laughs> Give him his due. I mean, that's at least he's... I mean, I know it's it's back in the day terms, but he's at least in his late 50s there, right? Maybe late 40s, late uh, 50s. He's, he's like oh, uh, 40... I'm saying like 47. So that's going to yeah. be him at around 47 years old, I believe. Oh. Nick was born in 12, right? Yeah. And yeah. Cork was two years older. And yeah. right underneath the um, tag there is 217.52, so maybe that's the year. 52, so, yeah. so that would mean he's 42 in that picture, which you're right, man. That's a rough-ass 42. Well, that but, means 30. Oh, yeah, yeah, 42. That is old 42. <laughs> Unless the 61 on the right yeah. is the year, but either way. Yeah. It's a, whatever. He's either 42 like, or... That's a street 42, 50, bro. Yeah, you're Cork right. Cork was the muscle. Like, Cork must have had, like, Tuffy standing behind him or something because he does not look intimidating. Hey, I mean, you see all kind of mobsters. So these are mug shots. You know what uh, I'm saying? Like, I had a, I had another picture that was kind of goofy. So there's some pictures. Of, <laughs> like I said, I tried to go, like, around the time frame. Yeah. I got him, like, as an old man in some fucking wild suits and shit. Like... He still looks like a goof, though, man. He's kind of a gump. I'd roll with Cork hey, but gumps, I mean, you, have we all read of Mice and Man or whatever? Right. You know, he could be a fucking gump. Look, we, we're running the Kansas City Mafia. He's still around, <laughs> he, and we haven't heard shit about him getting caught up, so... Well, and what's crazy is at some point they'll say that uh, that Cork was the underboss, but I don't think he ever really was. So the old guy, Joseph Filardo, was for a while, and then Tuffy was for a while. Okay. But... I don't think that Quark ever was the underboss, but that was definitely his crew. So, November 14th, 1957, Nick and Joseph Filardo attended the Appalachian Conference. So, a lot of people, if they know much about the mob, they'll have heard about the Appalachian Conference. Either of you have a clue? I'm unfamiliar with this. Okay. So, in 1957, they decided to have this really big meeting. Uh, all the families. So... All the families from Dallas, Pittsburgh, L.A., Cleveland, Florida, hundreds of bosses all over were going to have this giant meeting to get together and discuss. So the bosses of every family and then they're like their other guy and their drivers, you know, so there's like hundreds of guys. These mob bosses from all over are coming to town and uh, they had they did it fairly regularly. They did it about every five years. Now, they had done one two years before, and I won't get too into it because it'll probably cover a whole episode on the Appalachian meeting and shit. Okay. But basically, Vito Genovese and Carlo Gambino had each took over those two families and were wanting to have another big conference meeting to put themselves in as the boss. And then Vito Genovese actually wanted to be the boss of bosses. So he was having like, no, we're going to have another meeting now. Like he called a session. Everybody's coming to town and we're going to make me the boss and everybody's got to come. All right. So these guys come from all over, and it was in upstate New York, Appalachian, yeah. New York, and show. And uh, is this guy who used to be a connected guy, or he's a mafia guy or whatever, but now he's kind of retired. Because one of the commission families is also upstate New York, Buffalo. So they have, like, whole crews up there. So it's this guy that runs this farm, and then he had, like, a cover business or whatever. So they're like, we're going to go to your place and we'll have this giant meeting. So the Appalachian meeting, some small-time cop kind of catches. He notices, like, some guys, out-of-town guys, a bunch of cars going to this one spot. Some people say that they were tipped off. 
by like a, a butthurt gangster or something. You know, like somebody that didn't. Well, somebody that maybe just didn't like Vito Genovese. He didn't get right. invited to the meeting. <laughs> um. Either way, the cops start checking out these places and they're like, dude, there's hundreds of gangsters from all over the world at this little farmhouse. And they slap together this real quick little fucking sting squad. And all as right. soon as they start to get together for the meeting, they run in and arrest everybody and shit. Damn. Now, if you see like the movie Analyze This, there's like scenes where they're like, I mean, some of these gangsters, they were like jumping out windows and run across like cornfields. Some of them didn't run because some of them were real old and they're like, it's not dignified to run. Like, some of them bounced out in their cars, and then, the, like, they had the giant roadblock where they stopped every car. Some whips, bro. Look at them pictures, man. Them some gangster-ass rides, too. So, over 60 gangsters got arrested. 50 got away. Some of the gangsters arrested were Santa, uh, Santo Traficante Jr., Russell Buffalino, Vito Genovese, Carlo Gambino, Paul Castellano. Like, all these giant hitters. Yeah. Paul Vito Castellano, Genovese, we got his book and like, shit. The main dude who was trying to become boss, like... Yeah. Going to the can, man. So they got all these guys. Well, nothing ended up coming out of it. They all fucking said uh, they were there to visit their <laughs> sick friend. They all said that Joe Joe Barbosa or whatever. It was, it was just a mixer. We we're just oh no, Christmas it was party. Yeah, it was Barbera or whatever. He was like he said it's a mixer, but he was like he was like, he's sick. So we just were here to visit our friend. And they're like all of you, like a hundred <laughs> yeah. of you. Nick was one of the ones that didn't get caught. He got away. Well, he almost got away. He got away from there, got to town, caught a cab. And when he was trying to get to the train station, got caught up. And they brought him in, interviewed him, and let him go. He ended up having to do, like, a grand jury grand jury testimony on it. But nothing ever happened out of it. Like, with any of the guys. Yeah. So it was one of these things where, like, nothing came out of it legally. But it was a huge slap in the face. And then now, like, all the government couldn't. They officially knew, like, that's when organized crime was out, like. No, you have Florida and fucking Pittsburgh all in the same room together. We can't say it's not a huge organized conspiracy. Like, hey, there's a mafia. We better get on this. <laughs> but the reason him getting caught at the Appalachian meeting turns out to be a big deal is that's when he's officially solidified as an authorized boss of one of the mafia families. Okay. okay. What we're going to do, we're going to take a real quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute. Monitor the area carrying curved swords, slither 
We're back. So I mentioned earlier I was up in Frankenmuth for the weekend. Now in Michigan we just take for granted everybody knows what Frankenmuth is, but like there's people all over the world that don't. So Frankenmuth is like this small like German town that's like it's what like kind of like a faux old school German. Yeah. Later using type. Yeah. And uh, but it's a Christmas town like Christmas year round. Yeah, so, big like, time Christmas and Thanksgiving uh, holiday visits and new year's eve visits and shit the world's biggest ormond store right yeah browners yeah it's a seasonal definitely thing like they make their money in christmas chicken dinners left and right yeah and it's a michigan thing so frankenmuth it's a great place in michigan where everybody just thinks man michigan you go to detroit and get shot right like we talked about travis city on that so much more than that <laughs> Pure Michigan. <laughs> Say hello to the bad guy. So Nick Savella, he's good killing this guy, right? Yeah. Pure Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> um, whatever. Fuck you. Anyway, Frankenmuth is dope. Was the moral of the yeah, story. Right <laughs> um, but they got a brewery up there and shit, and they don't distribute that far out. You sometimes their Christmas beer, but I got um, their mugshot oatmeal coffee stout. It's a six point five, which is a little light for an oatmeal stout, but yep. I think it's pretty good. You guys both got the mugshot. Yep. yep, it's uh, you can taste the coffee for sure. It's a little bit on the uh bitter side, but it's clean too. I mean, it, there's not a lot of aftertaste, but you definitely get the oatmeal and the coffee. I mean, if you like the taste of a stout and you're not after the power of the more you know higher higher alcohol content stouts, I'd say this would be a good one. I mean, if you want to drink a couple and still you know have your wits about you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But solid uh, offering from Frankenmuth. I've had their, I've had a couple from Frankenmuth. I've had their uh, Oktoberfest, and actually that's one of, that's number three on my Oktoberfest list. I'm an Oktoberfest dork, and one year I did probably ten of them. No, they're number two actually on my Oktoberfest list. So they pump out some good brews from time to time. They're they're decently priced, and uh, you know it's a smaller craft style brewery. I, I would say most that... importantly, it's local. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> 
What I would say is I like stouts a lot, but they do tend to hit hard. So I can drink two of these, and it tastes like a stout. But I could drink two of these for what one... Yeah, barrel-aged. Yeah, like one backwoods bastard is like two of these beers. So if I really want to have a couple of them and enjoy... Like yeah. you said, if I want to end up twisted, like fucking, get I mean, rolled, it, get rolled in the alley by the on this gang. episode, that might be wishful thinking because we've already had some super heavy hitters. Right. So this is kind of like, even though I mean, don't get me wrong, the flavor's still full. I mean, you know, we've had some of the lighter alcohol content offerings of higher powered, you know, well knowns like the half hearted ale compared to the two hearted ale. And I mean, this Back is this one diet bullshit, right? And this <laughs> one's in the same sense. I mean, it doesn't give up on the taste. So I mean, you know, you still get the craft, good taste, unique taste, but you also get a little bit less alcohol. How you're talking about? We came on here with the heavy hitters, but now we're kind of dialing down. I got me the uh, Miller High Life, but you know, had to come fancy, so it's in a champagne bottle. Yeah, that's that's keeping cheap. it keeping it local too. I'm drinking it straight out the bottle because <laughs> be- no better way. <laughs> That does make it more local, for sure. My uh, my dad drank Miller High Life. <laughs> the champagne and the beers. That was his go-to. Yeah, I seen this and uh, picked it up. It's been in the fridge. I've been saving it for the Bad Guy podcast. So I don't know mm. if it's a champagne bottle or what, but it's tasting pretty good. Right on. All right, when we left off, Nick's officially the boss of the Kansas City Mafia. The Appalachian meeting bullshit's way behind him, but also historically kind of gives him his credibility as a legit boss that was up there with the top dogs yeah man a lot of big names got hit and uh he somehow kind of semi slipped out right yeah he's been doing it his whole career ducking out (laughs) running around so yeah he's smarter than the the average gangster (laughs) (laughs) in 1960 when the nevada gaming commission came out with the infamous black book you know the Vegas Black Book, which is if a gangster gets put in there, you can never step foot in any any place where there's gambling allowed in the state of Nevada. So you can't go to any casinos. Well, pretty much anywhere in Nevada because they have like slot machines and stuff anywhere. But like if you if you've seen Casino, yeah, you know at one point that becomes a problem that he gets put put in the book. 1960 Nevada Gaming Commission puts out the Black Book. There are originally 11 names in it. Two of them were the Savella brothers. Wow. Okay. So this is Nick Cork and nine other dudes, like in the whole fucking country. Most of the 60s goes off a lot of hits, so he's cool with Chicago. He's pretty slick. He doesn't do much extortion. He's not into it. He doesn't believe in taking from the neighborhood. He thinks it's bad press. Like, people aren't going to like you. You're yeah. taking money from them. Right, right on. Know? Well, so, that's always the mob stuff. Like, they are portrayed as a good guy in their neighborhood. Yeah, almost. So well, can... and that's low-hanging fruit, though. So right. I can I can dig it. I can respect it. I don't know what the times were like. I, you said this was uh, you said the fifties, right? You said the fifties. The sixties. Well, now he's into so, the sixties. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, so. you, you said the sixties went off with a hitch. So I'm, you know, there was uh, fat and lean times for being a gangster in history. So I don't know exactly what the sixties were like, but it was like flower power years, you know. Later end, you're talking about early Vietnam years and shit like that. So, I mean, maybe it was at the point where he didn't have to take that low-hanging fruit and go after the locals and shit. And you know how that goes. That goes a long way with keeping people off your case on the streets. That's exactly what happened as he got bigger. One of his big rackets was union racketeering. So he was kind of the main connection from Chicago for all the Midwest because his guy, Roy Williams. I was going to say, I was trying to think of the name, but yeah, the guy. 
Yeah, his guy turned out to be the guy. So he was the Nick Savella of the Union. So next thing you know, he's shooting his way up the fucking Union like he's a rising star. And the whole time, anytime anything's going good, Nick Savella just be like, hey, what up? We need a thing, you know? Yeah. So he was real big into Union racketeering. One of the things that he came up with, he did for a long time, that was a gig he learned as a kid that he stuck with for a long time was stolen tires. So he's good at selling uh, interstate tires. You know, not a hustle that we hear a lot about in the uh, normal mafia game. So diversify your game. You walk out of your mixer and your car is on cinder blocks and your tires are missing. (laughs) Dang it, Nick Chevalli. I was in the mix. I was dancing. You got nothing on me. And then he was big into gambling. So 60s. kind of stuck to his roots the whole time, right? Yeah. That made his way up, got hired. And then uh, in the 60s, there was one time he got called to a grand jury for something stupid. And when he, he had to go do a press report and they asked why he was 15 minutes late. And he said he stopped in the bathroom and wrote on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, Smart ass motherfucker. Yeah. And then in the 70s, he had that quote where he said, I'm not a joiner. I'm not even the Knights of Columbus. Yeah. You know, it's like... He, you know, he had a quote where he said, "You tell me what the mafia is, because I can't. I don't know. I didn't see him. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's like, I'm not. A, uh, what's his name? John Gotti in court. He said, uh, he said, I'm a member of the Gotti family. My wife's the boss. That's funny. Like, yeah. And that's why, that's you why juries relate, fucking right, loved judge? him, right? Well, so now when you're in the jury and this guy just said, I'm a member of the Gambino family. My wife's the boss. You know, yeah. and you're just like, you know what? Yeah. He's innocent. Man, I didn't want to be here in the first place. Thank yeah. you for the laugh. You know what? My wife's the boss, too. (laughs) (laughs) He got hit with two state tax evasion charges, one of which he got thrown out, one of which he got a $150 ticket for. Oh, man. You know what? That's a classic for the mafia world is the tax evasion. (laughs) Yeah. And to only have to pay a buck fifty, no matter what fucking time you live in, uh, great deal right there. Take that deal. He grows. Everything's going smooth. 70s, not so much. Ooh. All right. Disco wasn't a friend. <laughs> Takes the turns for the worse. You did say earlier the lean times and stuff like that. Okay. Well, these would be the lean times. All right. So he's got kind of three things that are going on at the same time. So I'll kind of run through them one at a time. And then you just have to imagine that... They're happening at once. Yeah, that this is all just kind of sliding on as one thing's going on. So the first thing is January 11th, 1970, Super Bowl Four. Is Kansas City's second appearance in the Super Bowl? So you know KC's going crazy down there. Yeah. And side note, guys, I mean, I should have asked at the beginning if it was Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City, Kansas. It's Kansas City, Missouri. I figured that. All right. We got a lot of fans in Kansas City. Both right. on Both sides. So, 1970 Super, Super Bowl Four, Chiefs and Vikings. Now, Vikings were heavy favorites. But in Kansas City, everybody was betting the Chiefs. Makes sense. And there is huge underdog, right? They fucking better. <laughs> Hometown, baby. But now, are you guys familiar with how a gambling book works? If you're running the operation, not betting, like uh, if you're running the operation, right, I can't count on one team winning or the other to make money. So what I want is your bets to pay for their bets. Right. And then I charge a 10% VIG on everybody. So I get my 10% off the top and whatever you bet paid for their winnings or vice versa. Okay. So... What happens is sometimes when these guys are running the gambling books, if you get too much money coming in on one side, if you lose, you're going to take a huge hit. It's going to be devastating. So what they do is something called laying off bets. So they'll take some of them bets and sell them off to another bookie they know. So they'll go to Chicago or they'll go to Milwaukee or they'll go to another mob town and say, hey, you want some of these Kansas City bets? I'll swap you some. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, okay. it's called. It's say, called. That's that's interesting. It's called laying off bats. So every huh. bookie does it because you can't have overwhelming on one side or the other, but you can't not take people's action. Right. Yeah. So you have to take their action and kind of sell some of that action to one guy, but they also will do it at some point too. You know, you're in Detroit and they will go to the Super Bowl. And they're fucking 15-point <laughs> underdogs, but Detroit loves their fucking team, so all oh, of a sudden yeah. they're batting. You got to take that action, but you got to lay it off because you can't take it all. So they're getting overwhelmed. In 1970, when the Super Bowl was in town, it was a huge fucking betting deal. And Nick Savella fucked up for the first time in decades when he got caught on a wiretap talking about laying off $43,000 worth of bets to a different bookie. Wow. So now they got this, and they're like, Bam. Gotcha, bitch. Fucking on a wiretap. Yeah. Gotcha, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> 20 fucking however many years of this shit. Yeah. Gotcha. How can you fuck up, man? That's 50, 58 years young, my, my, within, my man. Within all the chaos of the Super Bowl. You I got, know. Well, hey, got you excited, get pumped. You got greedy. Just, just like what he up. said, I, I might get that excited, too, if the Detroit Lions <laughs> made the Super Bowl where I'd be fucking saying some shit on wire. I'd be nervous if Detroit made the Super Bowl. Like yeah. how the city would react. It'd be like a movie in the streets if we won. There'd be people <laughs> like dancing and like choreographed dance moves and shit. Uh, impromptu parades. But I think that's important because we've covered on here what the policy is in numbers, right? So that's how you that's how you make money as a bookie. Yeah. You need your bets to pay for each other, but everybody pays 10% off the top. Yeah. And that's how you make money as a bookie. I'm actually kind of glad that it was covered because yeah. it makes sense. You'd be out there thinking, like, oh, I hope I win. Like, you lose. <laughs> like, well, you lost $43,000. How about that? Like, oh, well, oh, I guess I have to. Actually. Uh, to who? Nick Savella. <laughs> oh. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> that sounds pretty bad. Who ended up winning the Super Bowl, though? Uh, Kansas City won the Super Bowl. So if he would have kept those bets, though, right? That would have been nice. He would have made out better. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, No. That's what he needed not to happen. Yeah, is because if they'd have won, because you got to pay out more. Oh, okay. So if the Chiefs would have won, which they did, that would have been an extra forty three thousand dollars more that the other bets didn't, because you have to pay more to the underdog. Right. You don't want to have home team loyalty if you're a bookie. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it! They finally made it to the Super Bowl, and I want them to lose. But yeah, so okay. he would have lost out. He was yeah. right. He did need to lay that off because the Chiefs did win. And they were like, I think it was 15 points. I tried to find it. I think it was 15-point underdogs, 13. Okay. They were big underdogs. So now they have enough evidence to indict Savella. One of his co-defendants, Saul Landy, agreed to testify for immunity. He was found murdered in his house where it was set up to look like a robbery. His wife was there. They just, like smacked around his wife and killed him in front of her. Wow. Oh, damn. But she, she lived, though? Yeah. Okay. I read one story where it said that she was viciously raped, and I was like, oh, that's real fucked up. But then I read, like, more credible sites, and I didn't see that anywhere. So She's I mean, like, hey, look, I told him not to snitch. Yeah, it was just some site that was trying to get some extra clout. Like, that's snitching right. age, though, man. Like it I said, this late sure. 50s and shit. Like, you're at the point where you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this shit anymore. Maybe I should just snitch, but either way. Yeah, this is prime snitching time. This yeah. is where everybody starts telling. They don't like that shit no yeah. matter how old you are. But anyways, this guy flips, so now he would end up fighting this charge for most of the 70s. So that's for, was thing one. I talked on a wire during the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm going to get popped on this one. He wrote it out as long as he could, though, right? That Through most of the 70s. Yeah. yeah. We don't. He don't even go to trial till 75. 
Oh, okay. Damn. You know, he's rich. And it's, they fight <laughs> shit. You know what yeah. I mean? So he's connected. And he's old now. Yeah, connected. he did right for a long time. So you know he's got, hopefully, some brown- judges, Yeah, cops. some brownie points yeah. and shit. Yeah. He's got some dudes. It's to cash in. The guy, Roy yeah. Williams. Um, yeah, damn straight. So while this is happening, Kansas City's trying to run like a campaign to grow itself. It's like a tourist attraction, attract people to move there. This is some very politically incorrect, like, fucking 70 shit. They're going to this logo. Kansas City, one of the few livable cities left. (laughs) (laughs) One of the oldest areas was uh, rebranded as the River Key. Now, if you see it, it'll look like it says River Kwai when you read it, but it's called the River Key. Now it's called the River Market today. But it's this old territory, and they're growing Kansas City as a brand, and they're like, you know what, we're going to set up this district. We're going to call it River Kwai. It's over here where the old shit is. And they hook it up, and it's like art dealers and restaurants and ice cream shops, and you you know what I mean? Like they're looking for. Kinda sounds just like Frankenmuth to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're definitely trying to make it like a tourist destination. Right. Yeah, that's what yeah. they're trying to do. Is well, they they called it like like the French quarters in New Orleans. They wanted to make it like a go-to place. Yeah, they had to see. So while they're coming up with this idea for this neighborhood, there's this uh a guy in the Kansas City mob. He owns all these parking lots and properties and businesses right in that neighborhood. So he jumps into this committee and starts bribing people. So he's taking over this committee like, fuck yeah, let's make this fucking tourist trap right on top of my shit. Yeah, easy legal money and shit. So he's all in and it's going smooth. Well, then as they're trying to clean up, the city's trying to clean up the city to do this. There's like a neighborhood that's like seven blocks down that's a seedy neighborhood (laughs) that these other mobsters ran and it was like, porn shops and the x-rated theaters and strip clubs and shit and it was like their mini red light district so they moved in and they're like you know what shut the shit down so they sold off all their buildings and closed it down and kicked them out so these guys are like well you know what we're just gonna relocate and we're gonna move our shit up into this uh new river key this new jumping spot we're gonna set up shop there and the mobsters that were already there are like no this ain't the red light district you're not gonna bring that shit here this is like fucking ice cream cones Family fun. Low-key money, baby. This is what we've been working for, man. What the fuck? This is Myrtle Beach. You know what I'm saying? We're going to set up a little tourist spot. So these two factions start beefing, and they're like, nah, we're going to move in porn shops and fucking (laughs) strip clubs and shit. And they're like, nah, you're going to fuck up my fucking parking lots. So these two factions are beefing. Well, at the same time, there's these two brothers, the Spiro brothers, and they were like independent muscle. So they were tough guys, enforcers, but they kind of worked on their own. And they started to get it in into the Teamsters. But Roy Williams is the guy. So they kind of finds out. They're like, hey, these Spiro brothers are trying to creep up. In April of 1973, the oldest brother Nick Spiro's body was found in the trunk of the Cadillac parked on the street. So Nick Savella's like, hey, the Teamsters is my gig. Don't fuck we, with it. Show. We appreciate your interest in the mafia <laughs> and our uh, responses as follows. I'm sorry. We appreciate your response into the... Uh, labor organization and our response as follows mafia i don't know anything about no mafia <laughs> um at least it was a cadillac it could have been worse well i mean they're mobsters they just got cadillacs yeah. all over the place <laughs> i mean <laughs> like i'm got... sorry we were talking uh, do you want to would you rather us drive buicks no <laughs> buicks are nice man I, I, Rose, I said buick, god damn it why didn't i pick something buicks other are than nice buick now. when i yeah. said that buicks are nice now though back in the day i love a right. fucking buick oh no Master and shit. i mean contrary bro back in the day buick was the uh a, chevrolet a regal yeah yeah no Ooh. that was the step up dude it wasn't the lincoln but it was the merc well i always 
It's uh, a Chevy version. Yeah, right? I always do the Ford uh, comparison. But anyways, it was like the mid. Yeah. You were a step above a GM and, or a Chevy if you were in the Buick. You weren't quite the Cadillac like what you said. Right. So the the three remaining Sparrow brothers, and they're muscle guys. So they're all down for action. They're like, fuck these motherfuckers. So they dump the plan for the Teamsters Union. Their plan is like, you know what? We're just going to team up with these guys and take over the... Uh, the river key and we're after your ice cream shops now motherfucker yeah. you know fuck so the now Savella they're working brothers. with the the red light district basically nick savella's with the red light district oh. so so what happens is they use this as kind of like like the cold war yeah so these guys so they use this situation the river key between these two factions to kind of fight their war so the sparrow brothers jump on the side one side and the savellas jump on the other side right and they're like fuck it we'll just duke it out right now so they're like, hey, don't move into the River Key section or it's going to be a fucking problem. The Spiro brothers, you know what I mean? The other yeah. guys, they're like, nah, don't move in here. This is our shit. And they're like, fuck you. You don't know who I am. <laughs> so they start moving in. In 1975, the Savellas backed a faction owned bar named Old Joe's Tavern. So they're like, we're moving in. <laughs> fuck that. And eventually in River Key, they will start moving in X-rated theaters and strip clubs and they will fucking straight red light district it up. And that so, was also the same year that you mentioned, right? Like, 75 was the same year that... The trial started. Yeah. 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 Big year. For, big year. Big year for Nick. Well, that's what you said. You're kind of going to kind of piece this up, but pretend it all happened at once. Right. So, yeah, yeah around yeah. this time. It's a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, they opened Old Joe's Tavern. In 1976, Old Joe's Tavern was burned down. <laughs> What a coincidence. <laughs> How bizarre. <laughs> How bizarre. Don't you bring that tavern shit to River Key. We want ice cream cones, parlors, we want cafes. For all of our TikTok followers. <laughs> yes, we do that in there. Um Well and they had their bars, but they had their bars too. It was like little clubs and you you know what I mean? It wasn't like Come a, get a club sandwich. Yeah. Like don't not come pick up some blow and fucking a hooker or something. You know what I mean? It was a little anyways, they're trying to keep it cleaner. So so they blur, they burned down Old Joe's Tavern. <laughs> on July 22nd, and then again on November 17th, bodies were found in the trunks of cars shot in the back of the head. Okay. One was on the street, one was at the airport. Of? Huh? Of? I'm just going to go through the highlights. I okay. mean, because if I just start naming names, but it's going to be both back and forth on both sides. Okay. So this is just, I'll just give body you a list. Body after of, body. Yeah, I'll just give you a list of fucking uh, damage, and you could just see. Which side doesn't really matter. Right. What we're talking about is the fucking accumulative effect of this is what's going on in this new neighborhood. This they, is what's going on in Richard Key. They dropped the Cold War. They got busy. Yeah. Then 1977, they hit it hard. February 19th, a gangster was found dead in his garage. That was a Savella guy. Then three days later, February 22nd, a guy was gunned down in the middle of a crowded bar in the River Key. So that's when it started to get real bad. Like, like ah, you know what? I don't think I'm going to go down to the Key. They're like shooting people at bars. The good old days when you could go get a banana split and enjoy <laughs> yeah. your time. It ain't like that no more. On March 27, 1977, two popular bars, Pat O'Brien's and Judge Roy Beans, were both blown up and destroyed. Explosions were so big it also damaged a bar next to it and some of the other buildings. So these are pictures of uh, the River Key God area. Damn. Wow. <laughs> 
They weren't fucking around. Like, it didn't it just blow up that building and knock down something. Like, it blew up buildings. I mean, yeah. I know there were probably older buildings, but god damn. If you look at the shit around them, there are three, four, five-story buildings. Yeah. These fuckers are leveled, man. They weren't fucking around. So these pictures right here are actually why we went with Stay Blessed suggestion. You know, okay. she, she gave a suggestion, and I started doing some research. I seen this picture, and I was like... I was like, well, no, that's like what, like fucking, like France, you know, after World War what, like one yeah. was bombed out or something. Like, no, this is this Kansas City war. <laughs> it blew up this whole fucking neighborhood. We told you, we and, wanted to keep it light. And I left out a couple. There was like a couple more little fires, but I couldn't just keep listening to them all. Right. But no, this looks severe. Like this is big. But it was this like hopping area for. You know, like five years. Now it's a big area again. Now it's called River Market. And they've completely redone it. And now there's no fucking, there's no X-rated movie theaters or explosions <laughs> or anything. But so this kind of was like the nail in the coffin. Like people are getting shot in bars and they're blowing mm. up. So, and on top of that, it was physically a ghost town. They've blown up half the shit. Yeah. Places around it were shut down, like due to damage. It's fucking chaos. Well, people barely want to go to Frankenmuth during COVID season. I wouldn't want to go to River <laughs> Key during this. Yeah. So. A couple months after that, another mobster was blown up in a car bomb in his driveway. So Nick always thought, like, bodies, like, this is clearly bad for business. <laughs> this is right. not my style. Right. Like, so. I've been doing this a long time. When was the last time we had a bomb fight? Like, Which surprised me, man. I mean, I, I mean, you know, River Key example was he always seemed like somebody who wanted to keep it. I mean, he had his opportunity to pick that low-hanging fruit and do extortion, and he didn't. What surprised me when you said that was that he wanted to keep the prostitution, the red light district style shit happening in River Key. I thought maybe he was going to take that next step and evolve into the life of maybe the, the more easy money, you know, the low key money, like I said, what they were working towards, you know, labor racketeering and ice cream shops and cafes and boardwalks and shit like that, you know, the easy money, you know. Well, I think two things hit him on that. So I think one is that uh, it was he took his eye off the ball. He has a lot of other shit going on. And then the other one was that it was kind of a more a strategic battle type thing. I don't think he philosophically agreed with the. So we didn't get into it. The guy that he was sided with, his name, his son's name is the Rat Casamillo. Mm. It was kind of more of a, we're going to war, we need to side up, you know what I mean? And you divvy up sides, yeah, yeah. and that sucks, you're on that side, but we are going to war. So I don't think it was like a, it wasn't a moral decision, but you, they are criminals. Yeah. You know? So like, fuck it, I guess we're on the wrong side of this one. I gotcha. But yeah, it is surprising, but when, I try not to get too into it, because you get too deep into names on these mob ones, it'll get deep, but it was a guy that was kind of in his camp. So when you draw battle lines, you're like, fuck. Like, yeah. again, like Game of Thrones, when you start calling houses, like, yep. well, who do we got? Like, oh, fuck, the Boltons were in the north. They were fucking Stark Bannermen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was going to say, because you number said one that, choice. that war that started in the River Keys, it started with those brothers, right? The Sparrow Brothers, right? Yeah. So, so that's what it was. He yeah. has all this stuff going on. This happens, and something crazy happens. He's like, well, we got to retaliate. Yeah. And it just kind of goes downhill from there. Next thing you know, you're like, oh, we're the... <sighs> I didn't know we're the strippers and X-rated theater guys. But yeah, so the River Key area's fucked. You know, nobody goes down there. The only shit that was still left open was like the triple X theaters. And, <laughs> yeah. and then the creepy guys that will go to a bombed out neighborhood to go watch a triple X theater. And shit. <laughs> Not the kind of neighborhood you want to bring your family to. So Nick's like, let's wrap this up. 
1978 on May 2nd and May 4th, two separate Spiro loyalists were shot behind the wheels of their car. Then on May 17th, 1978, all three of the Sparrow brothers were at the Virginian Tavern when gunmen came in and opened fire on the Sparrow brothers with shotguns. They killed Mike Sparrow, a paralyzed Carl Sparrow, and then they wounded Joe, who bounced out. So it sounds like when they came into the bar, whoever was sitting furthest got wounded <laughs> and it just slowly progressed. I think out. I seen that the, the two were together and Carl was at the bar, so maybe Carl... Didn't run and got in the action, but who knows? Who who even really fucking knows? Who's gonna who are you gonna ask? Fucking the guy that ran away? Like, well, I don't know. Did you run away like a bitch? Like, look, if they start busting with shotguns and both your brothers are shot, I mean, this oh, is yeah. like maybe combat thought, or whatever. Well, you said paralyzed, so maybe he thought that my man was dead. Yeah. And he's like, ah, fuck it. I gotta regroup for retaliation at this point. I need to get the fuck out of here. And Carl spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. So that ended the war with the Sparrow Brothers and. It ended River Key. That folded as a project. Like I said, it's a, it's a whole different thing now. But, I mean, they won that battle or whatever, but you fucking blew up half a fucking neighborhood and shit. Yeah. This is kind of down the timeline, but just so you guys get, like, an idea of, like, the finality. Joe Sparrow, the one that was wounded, he was killed in 1980 in an explosion when he was working on a bomb in his work shed. <laughs> 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 he was holding on to it for a long time. He was like, I've been working on these bombs for three years. I'm going to finally get them back. Um, Damn. And Carl, from a wheelchair, continued running his criminal operations out of a used car dealership that he started. Wow. With a plan to get back at Nick Savello for killing <laughs> his see, brothers and shit. They were, they, were in, they were in cahoots. He said, I got the car, the car dealership. You start making the bombs in the shed. Uh, I'm going to get you, Nick. We're going to get you. Nobody holds the Spiro brothers down. That's an angry, angry old man. (laughs) Uh, In 1984, wheelchair-bound Carl was blown up in his office in his used car. (laughs) God damn. It took us seven years, but we got you, motherfucker. I think it's it's crazy. Like, they went bomb for bomb. Hey, Instead man. of just duking it out or shooting, or like, they picked their they picked their profession at an early age. We're gonna go start blowing this shit up. Yeah. We're gonna go bombs, something that can harm everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it, the shit that brings the most heat to us. Yeah, that weapon. <laughs> Let's do it. Yep. Like, is it a wheelchair? Why do you have blow? <laughs> but what about Lloyd? Can't you just like put a pillow over his face or something? <laughs> what is he gonna do? <laughs> no, we're gonna blow him up. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Whatever. Whatever they didn't like, they didn't like the fucking Sparrow Brothers, yeah. man. So that was two of the things. So around the same time, also in the 70s, going back into this third timeline, in 1974, Nick had spearheaded this movement to use his union connections. So Roy had worked his way up to pension fund trustee. Oh, so, damn. Yeah. So he was like, well, look, I got my guy in the union. If you guys all have your little local guys, we can get enough money for this pension. So Nick pulled in Chicago, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. And all of them together pulled in their union connections. And they put that all behind Roy Williams. Roy Williams eventually became the president of the Teamsters Union. That's big shit right there, man. Like, I mean, you, like, pension fund trustee gotta imagine what a you like a teamsters pension fund looks like i mean even back then we're probably talking about billions i mean maybe it was only hundreds of millions but it could have been a billion dollars i mean i don't know about 
But man, that's a big shit right there, Roy. He's there. He, yeah. He's got it. Well, they made Roy invest $64 million from the Teamsters pension to a California businessman named Alan Glick. And Alan Glick built a dummy company called Argent, and that company bought four Vegas casinos, or the majority stocks in four Vegas casinos. Mm-hmm. It was the Stardust, the Fremont, the Hacienda, and the Marina. Holy shit. Okay. Now that they had their guy in charge, they started taking a skim, which meant they took theirs off the top before taxes and everything that the uh, casinos made. So every dollar the casinos made, the mafia had their guys in place to take theirs off the top of all those four casinos. That money would then be distributed to those four families, and it was as much as 40 grand a week per family. Wow. So weekly, you get your casino kick in. In your Chicago, your Cleveland, bam, 40 grand, 40 grand, 40 grand, 40 grand. Which, Over a million a year. What's that? Over a million a year, right? Two million. Okay. But that's two million a year now. That's two million a year in the 70s. Now that's 11. So that's 11 a year just getting kicked in. Yeah. Just rolling in from keeping these. That, so now you even have to do anything. In, yeah. You just yeah. kick your feet up on keeping the couch. Your shit fucking above the line of profit. Oh, yeah. And Nick, he was kind of like the point man on this whole thing. Like, he kind of set it up, you know, and everybody fucking loves it. But they put Chicago guys in. So the Stardust is represented in Casino. So the real guy was Lefty Rosenthal, which is Robert De Niro's character. And then Tony Spilotro, who was Joe Pesci's character. But that's what really happened. Chicago put their guys in. They run the casino, so they knew they'd get their scam. At one point, Alan Glick tried to kick Lefty Rosenthal out and had a beef. And they made him have a sit-down with Nick in Kansas City. And Nick told him... He said, if it was up to me, you'd just never leave this room. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, easy, easy button. But they said they need you because you owe us $1.2 million for the loan. (laughs) Right. So we gave you the loan. You didn't know, but that comes with a mob tax of $1.2 million. So we need that. And then on top of that, we need our cut off the top because you're in business with us. And our guy runs it and stay out of his way. (laughs) So Alan Glick was like, well, yeah, but he's like fucking out of control and shit and they're like yeah that's our guy we probably should kill you but we need 1.2 million but once instead. we get that we'll, then we'll <laughs> yeah. kill you so what an incentive to work hard hey uh what we're telling you right off bat is once you give us the 1.2 there's not much reason for you to still be alive in addition to the casinos that they owned with the midwest coalition they got a connection at their own spot the tropicana now, there they didn't buy into it. They found a guy that was a manager that they bought into that just handled the skin from a management position. Kind of risky, right? Well, yeah, it's definitely risky. It's uh, it's cheaper than buying half the casino. Yeah. You know, you just got some manager that's not feeling it and is willing to just run that skim for you. His name was Joe Augusta. So they have all, they got the four casinos that everybody gets a piece of. And then they brought in the Tropicana, which was just theirs. They still split their piece of the Tropicana with Chicago, though, just because... Nick was always a Chicago guy. In 1977, Nick gets convicted of the Super Bowl gambling charges, and he gets sent to prison. Because you said he fought it all through the 70s, right? Yeah. So, so he's just now getting convicted for that? Yeah, in 77. Okay. So Capone's whole reign, he <laughs> fought these charges and shit. <laughs> Over something he did that yeah. he was on a fucking wire for. Fucking G shit, bro. Like, yeah. as, as guilty as... They could get him fought it that long. Yeah, so it happened in 70. He fought off the trial till 75. And then he held off the conviction till 77. (laughs) We mentioned uh, Game of Thrones in this podcast already. I was like, Capone's whole reign. (laughs) 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 
But that's why I wanted to tell that story that way, because I thought that's kind of what happened. Yeah. He catches his case, and then he fights a war. He starts Vegas. <laughs> he does all this shit. And then they're like, hey, remember that fucking uh, that Super Bowl thing? Like, when did that? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Slick Nick kicked into action, baby. But through most of the end towards that trial, he started to get real sick. Uh, so he had multiple surgeries. He had to have organs removed. And he ended up, he had cancer. So, so he had a bunch of surgeries. He goes to prison. And he ended up getting released after 20 months due to being medically unfit. But he gets released. And not long after getting released, they found out that they had caught him on tape trying to bribe a prison official in 1978. So while he was in prison, he was trying to still escape. Not knowing that he was going to be, like, this sick to get released. He was actually trying to bribe a prison official to get his nephew into a lower count on something. Oh, okay. shit. Yeah, so it actually wasn't even a bribe for him. He was trying to bribe someone for his nephew. You're looking um, out for family. Yeah. Earlier we heard him getting caught up on a wiretap about the skirting the bets on the Super Bowl and shit. And it's like, man, you got to be more careful. I mean, I know it's been a couple... It's been... Almost a decade and shit, but be a little bit more careful getting caught up on tape saying shit, you know? Well, and I agree, and it's tough because if you read it, they wiretapped, like, so the visiting room, anywhere he goes. So he's in Leavenworth, and they had wiretapped the visiting room in Leavenworth. So if yeah. he says something in there, they're wiretapping prison phones. Like, he can't say anything anywhere. And he does have to learn, but also... You know, these old dogs with their new tricks. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, at this point, he's in, his 60, he's in his mid to late 60s, right? You know, they took out half his fucking parts and shit. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's trying to help his fucking goddamn nephew. <laughs> motherfucker. You know? Didn't fucking Gizzo have a heart attack helping yeah. out his son in fucking Dallas? And now I got to fucking... Yeah. You know? Yeah, so he gets out, so now he's popped for trying to help out his nephew. And uh, he also got caught on tape again meeting with his brother in a spot while he was on medical release that he was too sick to be in prison. Damn, man. I love how my man Cork just keeps on coming back in at random times and shit. Like every time he slips your mind and you forget about him, <laughs> boom, Corky, just, Corky uh, McPopsle. Speaking of Game of Thrones shit, like here comes Cork coming back in like, Hey, I'm back. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Remember What's, me? Cork. Yeah. On July 18th, 1980, he gets sentenced back to prison for four years. <laughs> For uh, trying to bribe prison officials. Oh, man, 68. My man's rolling back into the clink at 68. Yeah, and like, shit. hey, remember I was too sick. Like, <coughs> like I can't go. Like, no. Wait, all of a sudden, you think I'm better? I'm as sick. I'm sicker than I was last time. This whole time, the Kansas City FBI are putting together a case regarding the Tropicana scam. And then they brought in the FBI's from every different region that was involved in Las Vegas and started to realize, you know. Like, okay, we got the Cleveland FBI, we can bring in all these different people, and they started to piece this thing together. And they had a bunch of wiretaps, and no matter how good these guys were, they could get tapes on them. Right. You know what I mean? Because they would... Slip up every once in a while. Yeah, well, they would li they would read their lips on the street. It was out of control, like the surveillance. Like, right. It was the invention of surveillance. The technology back then, even though the, like, the FBI, you know, their technology was probably at or higher level of what the industry standard was so even though they were using telephones they were savvy to when to shut the fuck up on the phone and listen for static and that and this the reality is it was analog telephone lines i mean cell phones weren't invented voice over ip wasn't invented you had to really really be slick to keep yourself 100 percent insulated from all of the you know possibilities out there that could get you caught up in the 
you know, the surveillance side. But so they would get everybody, they had everybody on tape from all over, every family. They're figuring out, but they just couldn't put it together. You know, they know this is going on. But what they do seem to figure out is at some point it seems like Tuffy's kind of the liaison. He's kind of the underboss. He goes out to Vegas. He fucking gets the money. He brings it back, splits it up. Tuffy's the guy. Tuffy's still in the mix, bro. I love the uh, cameos in our story here, man. They just keep on coming back. That was one thing that Nick was big for. Like, late into this game, when they talked about, like, made guys in the Kansas City Mafia, they're, like, I don't know, like, 25, 30. And Nick always believed in keeping it small because he's like, we're not a big operation. So you bring in all kinds of guys. Everybody's hungry. Yeah. Everybody's trying to outproduce the incumbent, right? More opportunities for snitches. Yeah. Like, we're just going to keep this a small, tight operation. I got my brother and my buddy. We've been doing this for fucking decades. We're good to go. It's a good plan. Except when they figured out, they finally made a move on Tuffy, and it turned out Tuffy the whole time had been keeping, like, detailed notes. Like, not, like, well, not, like, snitching notes, like, detailed information. Like, you know, he's keeping his records and shit, <laughs> but, like, he's keeping his records on illegal shit. Why, they, man? OCD. They said it was, like, uh, encrypted, but it wasn't encrypted enough with the amount of information that they had. They were like, well, yeah, but we could take this plus his fucking, this dummy's notes. <laughs> You know what I mean? And figure this out. Tuffy was sitting there like, one day, three men will sit in the basement and talk about my life story. <laughs> the fucking Kansas City mob almanac, man. What the shit, Tuffy? <laughs> what are you I doing? Mean, what, what is this, man? What, what was the thought process? Where where are you going with like this? Like I said, hey. just, I mean, not to make fun, but OCD? What the fuck, man? <laughs> hey, this isn't actually the worst. Another guy that I'm working on for down the line, I have a guy... That gave a receipt to a bootlegger for a payoff. <laughs> <laughs> and the eventually, most, at, most. Some, at some point, the guy got pissed and went to court and was like, Well, I got a receipt. <laughs> The most honest gangster of all time, folks. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you just take my money and not give me my product? I'm calling the police. What the fuck? Uh, but yeah, so once they get... Now, now between the wiretaps and the fucking, uh, you know, Tuffy's notes, they're fucked. They made arrests. They had nine nine arrests across the families. They had Joey Iupa in Chicago, all the big hitters. Okay. Nick, Corky, and Tuffy were all indicted on gaming violations. That was all 1981. So Nick's already in jail on the bribery charges, and now he's getting hit with these, you know, these new gaming charges. He was the first one to get separated from the trial because of his medical con- condition. So while they were fighting that, they eventually, at some point, he got so sick that on March 1st, for one, at one point, they transferred him to Leavenworth because it was closer to home. Like, so let's do the nice look. Let's, we'll send him to Leavenworth. Like, oh, you're from Kansas, right? You want to yeah. send you to Leavenworth? No, I don't want to go to Leavenworth. No, fuck no. You got somewhere, like, on the beach? Like, yeah. like where do you put the white-collar people? No, we're going to send you back home. You're going to Leavenworth. God <laughs> damn it. I got cancer. Yeah. I was born in... 1912. Fucking, I'm done, man. What's going on? I'm 70 or something. What the fuck is going on? You're sending me back to Leavenworth? That's awesome. So, on March 1st, 1983, while still fighting the game in violations, Nick Savella was released to his family due to failing health. On March 12th, 1983, he passed away due to complications of lung cancer. March 12th, 83, so he's 71. He made it 11 days after the little moment. 11 sweet long days compared to all the time in the clink. But I mean, as a ratio, 
he had a pretty good run with uh, time free and running stuff to time in the clink. Yeah, I mean, he didn't fuck up till the 70s and shit. The late 70s is when they finally, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the, the reign of Capone just skirting the, the trial and, and dancing around that. But then from 77 to 83, talk about six years. So, I mean, you know, six years is a long time, but equal to minus one year, the time he just let alone skirted even going to trial for the gamble. and uh, Plus, on top of everything he was dealing with. He's out here just fucking making jokes, talking about <laughs> I was writing on the bathroom walls. It just goes to show sometimes the FBI, the CIA, or whoever, you know, the ATF, whoever's the the heavy federal hitters are coming after you you're gonna get caught up for 43 g's and at that time you know he was probably working with more than 43 g's of total you 100%. know 100 product so with nick dead and tuffy the biggest fuck up in the history of kansas city mob history. at least at least he didn't mean it That's <laughs> we'll give him that carl took over as boss of the family court got his shot like he was never underboss, but he got to jump straight to the big seat. Man, that's a hell of a run. And then Cork, I just love it, man. Cork's still in the mix. <laughs> what is he, like 70 he, now? How did Cork avoid all the heat and shit? You He'd be what? 73. Yeah, 73 years old. I'm going to take this over. Been waiting for this shot my whole life. I got it, little brother. Yeah. Guarantee he blows it in two years. Well... In 1984, he was sentenced on the uh, oh, okay. on the charges for the All gambling right. shit, and he got 10 to 20 years on that, plus 10 for unrelated charges. Okay. So he got sent away like damn long term. Remember how how my man looked when we were speculating that he was either 52 or 62. No. He was sent at 40. Yeah. Re- this remember is, this is gonna be like, rough. and then like 20 years later and shit but either way man it's a different time good good shit cork <laughs> do your thing corky mcpop off as referenced <laughs> in the earlier parts of the episode once he got sentenced he knew he was getting out he knew he was never getting out he handed off leadership to his son anthony tony wright now tony wright ended up getting five years for gambling charges but he did his time, he ran it from prison, he had a street boss, which was one of the guys from the uh, River Key fight. Mm. Really? The rat. Wow. The rat was the street boss when he was in prison. Now, that's where we're at. Like, all the old guys are dead. Fucking Tony Bro. Ripe's the boss and the guy for the fucking the porn theater. <laughs> but <laughs> it makes sense, though, because yeah. Nick wasn't liked the beginning of his career either. So it, it's, it's weird that it came full circle like that, right? Because you said it was the rat from the yep. River Key. All right. The he Kansas the City Chicago well, connection's a forgiving <laughs> connection. And... Tony Accardo's rolling in his grave. No, no. I mean, like, Tony Accardo was uh, behind Nick. Right. But now the... what I'm saying is now the rat, the dude who worked in a porn shop's running the whole yeah. organization it, from the it's outside. It's weird, that dynamic, right? Because Nick wasn't liked by the Kansas City outfit, but right. Tony Accardo uh, trumped that shit. It was just, it's just weird, Took that a... dynamic. Cork died in prison of pneumonia in 1994. Says when I was a junior in high school. 74 years old. Good life, man. We know we you're, we... you're in your prime years living playing some high school ball and corks in prison dying. <laughs> if you're uh if, if you were a criminal ah, fuck. If you're a <laughs> career criminal and you make it a seventy four, good on ya. These brews are hitting tanked hard. Yeah, man, my it's bad. One of those fellas. days. I, I had a big debate on if I should open to this one or not. 
Open to this one. <laughs> and I Open to this literally <laughs> northeast uh, Kansas City. I got my goo. Bad and and I've been I've been trying to get my uh tolerance up over the last couple of days. I was like, all right, I'm gonna drink a couple beers because I'm going to podcast. I wanna have some fucking buffer zone and shit. No dice apparently. Well, I was nervous because this is my first podcast in a minute, so I'm like, oh, I'm drunk. But I'm like, all right, cool. We, we're all on the same <laughs> boat, at least. We're in this together. So, Anthony does five years for gambling violations, and he gets released in 1989. Then in 1992, he was convicted of reselling $1 million worth of prescription drugs. And then, That's what they moved into, right? Like, yeah. they, I mean, you got to get your money where you can get it, right? And that's big. I mean, even now, that's big cash. The pharmaceutical industry is better than red light services. Well, I mean, if if he's got it at a million, you're going to resell that for what? Seven? <laughs> yeah. What's your street value on that? Yep. So then he got sent back to prison until 1997. And... Tony Ripe died February 16th, 2006 of cardiac issues on a golf course. Like, I don't know if that's peaceful or the most like traumatizing way to go. Well, he's like, probably angry. I don't know. He might have been enjoying Either way, you're golfing a bad yeah. day. Golfing I mean, it. yeah. I mean, you're slightly pissed if you shank your shit to the right. But other than that, I mean, you're with your buddies. You're yeah. puffing on cigars and shit. So, I mean, 2006, even he was at this point born in like, like 1930. 2006, he died on a... The golf can, course come to the kansas city connection we'll get you into your mid-70s and as a gangster through a whole life a career criminal i mean it's it's crazy man that's that's longevity right there i mean you don't you don't get that a lot in the career criminal gangster biz man it's impressive tuffy was released from prison in 98 and passed away in july july 21st 2008 okay so he, in kansas city so I mean, at least okay. they didn't kill him for being stupid. Like, he got out, and he just went back home, and they're like, all right, fucking Tuffy, get over here, you, you old scamp. At <laughs> least they didn't blow him up. So that's the story of Nick Savella. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. All right. So you guys haven't seen a picture yet. So if we was going to... Make a movie about Nick Savella. Who would you cast to play him? So oh. just to go with Dell's template, I'm going to go with Brandon Schaub. For some reason, Brandon Schaub looks Italian to me, even though, I don't <laughs> I know, Schaub, Schaub doesn't sound like an Italian last name. Other than that, besides him, man, I can't really think of any actors because I'm not a big like movie watcher. I'm more of a TV show watcher. But Brandon Schaub, for some reason, I don't know why, but... In real life, Brendan Schaub is like a fairly large human, and I'm just picturing Nick tiny for some reason. And I don't remember like, the physical di- uh, explanation if we had. I don't, I don't think ha- we got I, one. And I still don't. I didn't have one. I still okay. don't have one size wise. This is the first one. I got like, a bunch of pictures. No idea how big any. Only because Brendan Schaub has dark hair, right? And and isn't he kind of light? Isn't he kind of olive skin too? Yeah. He's pretty racially ambiguous and. uh well, Sicilian me, Italians are fairly dark. He is giant, though. He's a big dude. So here's here's some of the pictures we got of Nick Savella. Yeah, this is when he was younger and older. But in the older picture, he kind of looks like that old, like the bald dude from Casino. It's kind of a Patrick Stewart look. Uh, the old the old picture with the fedora and the thick glasses. The younger picture, the KCPD picture, I'm still trying to get it. It's definitely not Brandon Schaub. <laughs> so that was a, 
that was a shit ass guess. But other than that, uh, I'm trying to really figure out who that is. Um, I'm gonna stick with the Joe Rogan and the kid theme. I'm saying Brendan Schaub, like a little <laughs> white guy. Like I can see that. I said Brendan Schaub again. I meant um Brian Callen. Yeah, oh, he does look like Brian Callen. Do you know who Brian Callen is? Nope. It's the guy like, that Brendan Schaub does a podcast with. It's like Brendan Schaub's best friend. <clears throat> Have you I seen know, uh, the Goldbergs? The gym I do teacher. know that Brendan Schaub has a podcast separate from Joe Rogan's, yeah. and I have watched the Goldbergs. And He's the a, gym teacher. You're right. That it, yeah. Yep, the gym teacher. So we can stay on the fighter and the kid theme and All right, go Brent, with him. Yeah. No, that's, that's a that's Brendan Schaub one. You, you shave it up a little bit more and get a little. Yep. Well, and I think uh, Brian Callen's right at that perfect age. We can use some of that Avengers magic and age him down a little bit <laughs> to play him young. But then we can old age makeup like a uh, true detective yep. and age him up and yep. fucking like Stephen Dorff and make him look like the old man. Like you can play him all the way through. Right on. I'm going to so, write this so, movie. So you're in the ballpark, honestly. Yeah. And we we came together. Uh, yeah. Good shit, Bugs. That was, uh, you know, you picked up where I left off. <laughs> all right. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. Now standard DEFCON scale is five to one. Five being the lowest, one being the highest. Now, the Bad Guy Podcast, there's no good guys. So, five would be Lee Murray, who's a coke-dealing, kidnapping bank robber. And one would be the Purple Gang, who's got multiple massacres, multiple gang wars, and they're killing people on the streets. So, on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Nick Savella? I'm going to uh, jump in. I'm going to say a two, just because um I feel like at a young age, he jumped into that street life and kind of worked his way up. And then bounced back and forth. So he had beef with the Kansas City mob. And then went to Chicago and messed up there and went back and forth. So, like, clearly he wasn't a great dude and he got into some deep stuff. But then once, eventually, I mean, he kind of took over for a while. And the, the whole bomb exchange, that's some deep stuff. Like, we didn't really get a body count, so we don't really know for sure. But I'm sure he's responsible and was part of a lot of deaths. So I'm going to say it too. What do you think, Tank? Well, I appreciate that rating. I'm stuck at a three, man. And I don't know why I always take it back to body count, but don't get me wrong. If you're a mob boss for as long as Nick was, you overseen a lot of uh, grim shit, right? But, man, I'm just stuck at a three. I'm going to give him a three. I mean, he was a mob boss for a long time. I respect that. But bad, bad, bad guy? I don't know. I mean, he doesn't have kids, but he had a wife for the whole time. So, I mean, he was, he was human. But, uh, man, that's tough. I mean, don't get me wrong, Bugs. I could see why you gave him a two. He was a boss. Bosses deserve twos. But we didn't hear any grizzly. Like, he didn't go out of his way to extort. So, okay. some of that other stuff kind of keeps me back on a three. I'm going to go with a three. I feel like we fall on three a lot with the mob guys because it's hard to when they do this this long right. body of work. You think, oh, they did all this stuff. But, you know, he agreed to help le- level that city. And that's, you know that's what I'm what saying? He agreed oh, to help fucking, you, you know, put those body in trunks. Even if he Damn stopped it. doing them at some point, which I know at some point he had to have done that. But when you're the boss, some of that falls on you. Not 100%. Those right. guys out there pulling the trigger. But you got to say, well, bomb it. Bomb the one next to it. Bomb the fucking one the, next to that. Man, I forgot about the bombing. Yeah. Well, and that's I what I was thinking about. Put his body in the trunk and park it by the street and fucking, you know, let him 
is because even though even since a young age, he was kind of respectful and didn't want to take from his people, and he kind of tried to do the, do the right thing. Once you get to a certain level, like that one point, he had so much going on, yeah. he just kind of like, yeah, go for it. Next thing you know, <clears throat> like cut I think, off this whole thing. So I would say I would give him a two because I think even though he had some moral connections, I think he had kind of a vicious streak in him. And sometimes if I you push some it. of that onto your people, it's a little grosser. You know I what I mean? I can see it. Oh, yeah. Like a, like a Joffrey. Like when, like, you know, even if you're not <laughs> pulling the fucking... I'm not saying he's a Joffrey, a little, but you know what I'm saying? When you have your people yeah, fucking... a little out sick there, man. Yeah, killing these people. Like, you know, blow it up. Blow up this whole fucking goddamn... Really? That's yeah. your city. Yeah. You know? You're building a city in fucking a desert at the same time that yeah. you're blowing up your city. Blew it up, realized it was wrong. He's like, you know what? Kill the people who's responsible for this war. So yeah, I say we'll go with uh, we'll give him a DefCon two. All right. Take it to DefCon two. You heard that, gentlemen? DefCon two. Cool with that. All right. So I want to thank uh, Stay Blessed 07 for recommending we cover the Savellas. Right on. Appreciate it. Much obliged. Great, great story. Thank you for your recommendation. You guys got anything before we go? Man, this has been fun. I'm just happy to be back. Thanks, everybody. All right. This is uh, Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs>